Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Mark 5, verses 30 through 34. I'm Reagan Gilliland. And I'm Stephanie Reed Meyer. And welcome to Off Script, our podcast where we look at last week's sermon, talk about more details, things that were on the cutting room floor, jokes, all the kinds of things. And this week we're wheels off because it's me and Stephanie. Yeah, because Reagan preached this week. As did you. <laughs> yep, like I do. <laughs> like you do every week. So I'm going to interview Reagan some about her sermon and then we'll throw little tidbits about mine in. Yeah. You're in the sanctuary, so it was me and you at 845, and then you and Mike at 945 and 11. Yep. Um, And the crowd was laughing at jokes at 845, (laughs) for sure. Okay, you know what? The greeting did not go well, because I made the assumption that everyone would know that I was talking about college football, but apparently no one, because I just opened up with like, we're not going to talk about what happened yesterday. (laughs) And I had people... And everyone's like, who died? (laughs) Well, everyone, everyone after the service... Not everyone. People are like, oh, I tried to like Google what happened yesterday. I'm like, y'all, just the the U T O U game. Like, <laughs> not that I watched it really, but I was like, I don't know. It was just funny how many people are like, what happened? I'm yeah. Like, okay. I mean, A and M. I was very proud of. They played Alabama and they only lost by four points, which is so, awesome. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's great. And Jake's like, if you have to act like you're proud of your team for losing, that's a bad sign. <laughs> so. He put me in my spot. Mm-mm. He's an SMU fan. They've never won. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Do they know how to hold a football? I don't know. <laughs> they don't. Okay. They know how to pay players. I've heard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is all scandalous. I love you, SMU. If any of my SMU friends are listening. So you preached on the bleeding woman. I did. Yeah, from Mark's gospel. Yes. Tell me about your history with this story. Well, I think I mentioned, I feel like everyone really appreciates this story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like um, in any Bible study class, or just a discussion we talk about who had really deep faith or what's a really moving story or I don't... And I feel like in any class, people always bring up the story. I feel Mm -hmm. like it means a lot to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. I know you've shared that it's one that you're like, I could preach on it over and over again. Like it's such a good story. And so because it was like a standalone sermon, you know, which is like, I don't know about you. Sometimes I super stress out having to like pick something. Like, yeah. It's kind of the worst doing yeah. standalones. Cause you're like, well, what should I do? Um, you're like, should I pull an old sermon out? Should I like try to do something more topical or like current events or whatever it may be. Um, but when I preached on the prodigal son last month, um, that just the topic of shame came up and honestly, I'm gonna I'm gonna be real. This was kind of an old sermon. Mm-hmm. Like I had um, used this the book that I referenced, um, but I actually rewrote like the whole thing because I just that's what ends up happening. Was, is you it happening? think you're gonna use an old sermon and then <laughs> right. it's like, no. and then you're like, oh, I'm gonna rewrite. Right, it's 10 almost pages. worse than starting from scratch. Yeah, it is because you try to piece it together and then it becomes a mess. And so I just rewrote it because I still am learning. And again, you go back to an old scripture and there's something new there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I felt like (laughs) 
it was a it was a hard topic talking about shame and so I kind of felt like oh, I hope it's not like a downer <laughs> Sunday for people um, but I got I got pretty good feedback good. on it I feel like there's room for downer sermons like mm-hmm. we need to feel something and be moved in some way and that hopefully you didn't keep us down. Yeah. You know what? I mean, you didn't. Not hopefully. You did not keep <laughs> us down. Uh, so what is it, Reagan, about shame that you thought was important for us to talk about? I mean, a big portion of my sermon was talking about how sometimes the shame we carry, like, really is not because of something we did. It's because either society or someone else told us that we should feel bad about that and that there's something broken and wrong about us. And so I feel like there's a lot of people carrying around shame that like they've believed the narrative or they've listened enough that they think okay yeah I am bad like it's not like oh there's this weird thing about me no I I am bad I I have this negative thing about me and I kind of wanted to bring light to that that things that we carry it's because we've just given into the kind of the lies of of society and and undue pressure and different things Um, because I shared some kind of lighthearted examples and then some serious ones and Hopefully that kind of sparks something in people like, oh, why do I feel bad about that? Oh, it's because I read something one time in a book or I watched something and I thought, oh, that's me. So I must be bad, too. I don't know. No, I think that makes sense. We're going to get back to Brene Brown a little bit because I think that is like the response to shame is Mm -hmm. her take on vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But I want to hear more about Dr. Thompson and the quote that you share. Yeah. So when I perceive that I'm receiving shame from a community of voices, the pain can become unbearable. When the collection of the voices of an entire community shames us, it is much more and will lead due to our inability to locate it centrally in any one place. And so when I feel shame in my family or in my church addressing, it feels quite overwhelming. Hmm. So that quote, like, I mean, I have a lot of stuff highlighted in that book and a lot of tabs, but that one. Yeah, you showed us the book in the sermon (laughs) and I was like, look at all those sticky notes. But that quote, it made me think just probably about especially certain groups of people that probably, I mean, I think like, for example, probably people of color, like the way they've been portrayed for our like (laughs) country's history, how they're portrayed in news headlines and just even terminology. Like I remember in seminary, I had a teacher that was like, we need to not say like the black sheep or blacklisted and just the way the word black is used as such a negative term. And so it's become so inundated into our, our vocabulary that I think there's probably people of color that sometimes think, oh, I am less than because everywhere I look, it's reinforced. It's reinforced. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I thought it was interesting in that, in that quote, it talks about when I feel shame in my family or in my church. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we can all kind of hear the family part, right? You grew up with siblings who were better Mm -hmm. at you. You feel dumb that Mm -hmm. you weren't, whatever all of that looks like. But I'm interested in the shame in a church Mm -hmm. statement. Yeah. Do you think we're guilty of that? How do we? Yeah, I'm very proud to be United Methodist. And so I think we do a pretty good job of of not because we've got, um, that's just not our style yeah. really in our preaching Absolutely. to like shame people and, and point out everything they did wrong. We're, we're kind of big on grace. I don't know if kind people of. picked up on that. <laughs> um, and that's one of our really strong, strong suits for, uh, of our, you know, core of kind of of our theology. But I even think about um, our social principles, which I'm teaching a class on. Mm-hmm. Um, Starting when, Reagan? Next, what time? This Sunday, 945 in room 156. Shameless um, plug. Shameless plug. But I even think about those statements. Some of those things people might 
struggle with. There's there's topics, you know, we have statements on divorce and abortion and all these things that probably people do carry some shame around. Um, but the way we address it, I think it is really grace-filled and loving. And um, we try to understand different perspectives. Um, you know, I talked to someone after church and they were saying like, I want to invite my friend, but she just says, no, like I just have a lot of shame and I don't want to come to church. And every time I go to church, I feel more shame, but they go to a different denomination. Right. And I go, maybe if she came, she's like, I know I keep telling her, like, <laughs> if she comes here, she's not going to feel, she's not going to hear that message. Right. So yeah, when people are upfront and vulnerable, which we may, you know, mm-hmm. when people are vulnerable about sharing what they've done, which it takes a lot of courage because yeah. there's people that carry some really heavy stuff for years and when they verbalize it, it's our job as God's people to not judge them or to pour more shame and be like, oh, you know what? That was really bad. I can't believe you did it. Yeah. It's to approach it like, I'm so sorry that you were faced with that. That guilt has turned into shame because there's a difference between like guilt and, and shame. But it can be blurry. It can be very blurry for sure. But as God's people, we need to love them and, and say, gosh, thank you for sharing. I know that was hard. Can I walk with you as you kind of heal from these things or you have a new start or you want to become someone new or have a different voice in your head? Like, can I be part of being a different voice in your head? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's Jesus's whole thing, right? We talk a lot about him being in ministry with those on the outsides or the margins, but a lot of those people that he interacts with felt shame for Mm -hmm. some reason or another. Um, rarely was it because it was something they should feel shameful about. It's mm-hmm. what culture kind of put on. Them. Yeah. So I'm thinking of your bleeding woman, um, the 10 lepers, all of these instances where Jesus kind of turned that upside down. And so Brene Brown, she introduces through all of her writings and her lectures, the idea of combating shame with vulnerability, like you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be really hard. I know we should talk about that stuff, but do you have any like helpful ways to like that you've learned throughout <laughs> the years how to talk about hard yeah. stuff like that? So I do, I, I said this in the sermon that, you know, it doesn't mean let me go on Facebook and put like what I've done or what I'm struggling with. Like it, it really does start with maybe one trusted person and. Um, when I've talked to people or even in my own life, like once I share something with one person and if it's received well, like in a loving way, thing is if, if we react to it, like in a really negative or shameful way, then that person closes up again and like they're probably not going to share again. So that's why it's really important if you're on that receiving end, if someone feels like they can share with you, like, oh my gosh, you've got to embrace them because... Yeah, take a breath if you need to. Yes. Don't do like your knee-jerk reaction. Yes, which yeah. is hard. It we is all have to hard. train ourselves mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. So I think if you start with one person um, and kind of work with that, and then as you start to maybe share with some more people, as you maybe if something like needs some like uh, further steps, like let's say like, okay, now I do need to go to therapy. Um, I need to go some counseling or whatever. Great. Do that. Um, if I need to maybe call someone and, and tell them and like ask for forgiveness or whatever it is. I mean, it depends what you are. If you need to get um, help for um, abuse or an addiction, like I know that's just not something easy you can just do in like one thing. It takes time. Um, and so opening yourself to be vulnerable is, is really, really important. And it's really hard to do that. But I think you have to kind of start somewhere and start somewhere small. But yeah. like that first Speaking step. Speaking at first yes. to someone trusted 
and knowing that it could go a number of ways. It could yeah. be that you say it and someone's like me too and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. maybe I don't need to feel the shame. Mm -hmm. It could be simple, but it could also be something that's like I have a real big problem yeah. and it's going to take years yeah. to get out of it. Um, so it's knowing that all of that is involved. And that's the risk, I think, with being vulnerable is that there is work mm -hmm. to be done. I just love the way that Jesus usually approaches people, that it's always like he does say a lot of times, like, you know, go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. But it's not like, let me let me just make sure I lay into you first. Right. It's always this very gentle, like, okay. And I kind of saw this about this sermon. Like, he acknowledges, like, this is who you were but this is what I see and what is ahead of you is much greater. Yeah. Like you've got a bright future. Don't be shackled by all this other stuff. And I think we need to say that to people too. And we need to feel that as well. Yeah. Talk about lepers and like, um, at that time. Talk about lepers. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about them, how they were viewed in society. Why did people think they had what they had all that? So my scripture comes from Luke. I'm you know, I think modern worship may be sick of the gospel, Luke. I feel like <laughs> I've been preaching on Luke forever. Uh, and we're going to keep preaching on mm -hmm. Luke during stewardship. So I warn them. They know that. Uh, but in Luke, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem for like ever, for like chapters and chapters and chapters. And he's in this land between Samaria and Galilee. And it's kind of like a borderland. And that is where the 10 lepers live. So they have all been outcast from mm -hmm. Samaria or Galilee. Um, they're not just Jewish people. They're okay. Samaritans too, which yeah. I think is an interesting aspect. So they have been shunned in both communities because of their uncleanliness. So with skin disease, and I can't really fault anyone for that because the spread would be astronomical mm -hmm. and detrimental to those communities. So it does make sense that there are these purity laws and these things that go mm -hmm. into effect to protect the greater community. Should they be just sent away with nothing? Yeah, probably not great. Mm -hmm. um, but I find the leper story very interesting in particular because they like build a community okay. of outsiders. Yeah. So it's these men that come together with their common shame, mm -hmm. with the skin disease that no one else will welcome them in. So they gravitate toward each other, even though typically they're known as enemies or lesser than, mm. um, but they come together and they actually like cry out to Jesus. They say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And they do it like all together, Okay, which I find also interesting. It's not like they're tackling one another to get to Jesus first. Uh -huh. They keep a distance from Jesus. They're very respectful mm. of that. And they don't seem to think that Jesus would just choose one of them to heal and not all of them. So it's this faith that they have, which I find yeah. really admirable too. So I talk a lot about communities being formed in every instance. I think when we are really desperate, community is essential. Mm -hmm. um, and that even in those moments of isolation, knowing you can still belong somewhere mm -hmm. is how we continue on. Um, I find it real hard to talk about healing stories. I don't know about you. I always have to put in like a asterisk or something that's like, I know some of you here may have been looking for healing and yeah. not gotten what you were looking for. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that when you preach on healing stories? Yeah, not particularly with this one. I don't know because why. Because we all have shame. Yeah. So you kind of... I guess I focus more on that. But yeah, the healing stories, but even some of the verses are like, you know, ask, knock. 
you know, rec- you know those, yeah. it's those, and those. I think that goes along with like healing. Like I've asked for this. Like why don't I? Why why don't I have that? Yeah, that's some of the trickier questions that we get as pastors for sure. Yeah, and so I didn't focus a lot on like the actual healing, which in my in the scripture reading we did, the healing only happens in one verse, mm-hmm. and Jesus sends them away, and as they're walking to the priest to be healed, they're healed on the way. So it's like very Mm. anticlimactic. Like it's not like Jesus touch, not like the woman who reaches out and touches and it's like a magical moment. They're just kind of walking and realize, oh, yeah, we're being healed. So I didn't focus so much on the healing, um, but I know we had congregants who had been through a lot this past year. And so I was very upfront too. Like it can be hard triggering for some of Mm -hmm. us to hear this kind of story and still be yearning for that healing or have never seen it. Maybe it's past. And so I encouraged us all to kind of think of ways that God is still present with us, even when we're yearning for healing, Mm -hmm. and to look around in ways that healing does take place. Yeah. Because it does in our Mm -hmm. lives, in the world. Um, It may not be specific as to what we are asking for, but it's still there. Yeah, well, that's very pastoral of you to to <laughs> to say that up front because yeah, you know your congregation, you know what they're going through, for sure. When it comes to healing or miracles, you know, I yeah. never want to get and I've talked about this in my Monday morning women's Bible study about how like I never want to get in a place where I don't believe miracles can still absolutely happen. Yeah. And when I really am, if I start to feel that, then I really need to. Yeah, re-examine. Take a sabbatical or something. Yeah. Um, thing is, I still want to believe in those. Yeah, yeah. And even if they don't happen for me, like I'm still going to celebrate when they happen. Like, of Absolutely. course, I wish they could happen for everyone. And I'm not going to try to sign why it happened. It's why there are miracles. There's no explanation. Right. But I still see things. I'm like, I got to name what I see. And I have to be in a place where I can't grow super angry. Like we can feel anger for sure for a little yeah. while. That's t- totally fine, but I don't want it to be a place where well, it didn't happen, so I guess God. Right. We can't live into cynicism. Yeah, yeah. In our everyday lives. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, okay, let's talk about some of the shame lies we believe. Okay, so I mentioned some in my... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That Lenny, is that what you... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you talked about a whole list of them, <laughs> yeah. but I'm trying to, like, how can we make it practical for people? Like, I'm trying to think of one you talked about where, like, moms who work, how sometimes they feel shame yeah. because they're away from their kids or they have childcare or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that one resonated. Yeah. Like, I feel that. And right. I know it happens on the other side, too, mm-hmm. which just makes it all the yeah. more silly. Because, I mean, you think about, I don't know if you feel this way, um, every time I meet a new mom, <laughs> like, I want to ask a question, like, really kind, but I'm not trying to shame them, like, so, do you, do you, like, you always say, like, do you work? And I'm like, well, I know you work because you're a mom, so you, <laughs> right. <laughs> but how do you say, yeah. like, like, do you work outside the home? Like, how do you say that? And I don't want them to feel like, oh, gosh, I have to, like, I don't know. What it do you weird, do during the day? What do you do during the day? <laughs> How do you no. spend your time? Yeah. I think a lot of women can probably relate to that of like, oh, I'm not contributing to the family. Like I got a, whatever's I got a degree or if they used to work and, and pull in a pretty good income and think, oh, now I have shame because I'm not living into whatever society says. But then on the other side, if you work, I feel that shame. Like, oh, you work outside the home? I'm like, Yeah. I think of it for older congregants that we have, too, who have decided to retire or not to retire. Mm-hmm. I know they feel shame sometimes, like, oh, I got out, but this person's still working really hard, and I'm, like, mm-hmm. playing golf or, like, yeah. whatever. You know, like, 
it happens to us mm-hmm. our whole lives. No matter, yeah. No matter how old or how young, where you like, everyone kind of feels that that pull of like, oh, I should be doing this, or what I'm doing is not good enough, or I feel guilty for that because I don't. It's just a shame is a kind of just an ugly game. Yeah, that hits us in different ways. So I like that both of our sermons kind of converge on this like healing moment, but also this moment of. For me, I think one way to combat shame, of course, is through vulnerability, but it's also having that community Uh where you can talk to people and be honest. Um, And so you brought up a really good point a second ago where you talked about being aware of how you ask people what they do, Uh um, because I think that's important for us if we are trying to combat shame in the world what are the ways we're doing it without meaning Mm -hmm. to? Yeah. So being conscious of the words we use, the questions we ask, Mm -hmm. um, and apologizing if it comes off a different way. Because we're going to mess up, right? We're going to say something that invokes shame in someone else for whatever reason. Yeah. I think one thing that has helped me, because we're so consumed with, like, where people went to college or what do they do or if they have children, which all of those can be, Mm -hmm. and so much of our identity is wrapped up in those things. I'm like, man, what if we started asking better questions of just like, what are you passionate about? What do you like to do in your free time? What's like, I mean, people will say, well, that's silly. But it's like, because I've had too many conversations where maybe, oh, I didn't go to college, which there's still that like stigma, like, oh, you're not successful. Or actually, I just got laid off or I got fired or I'm not able to have kids, whatever it may be. Yeah. And so, again, changing the narrative, flipping kind of the script of being like, okay, how about we actually were more than what our jobs, what school we have, and if we're parents. I think you get to actually know people much better if you ask different questions. I don't know. I was on an airplane last fall um, with a lot of UMC clergy coming back from this event. And it was I a s- crazy plane ride. <laughs> it really it's was. Clergy. It would have been bad if we crashed. Um, <laughs> so I was sitting, actually, it probably would have been very pastoral. I know. <laughs> we I would like, have started going down. It's like best place. Yeah. You're like, all right. Who wants to be prayed for? <laughs> I know. So I was sitting, um, next to another pastor who I didn't know at all. And I actually confessed to him that I thought he was this other guy from Perkins. <laughs> at SMU. Anyways, it was a whole thing. He's a very local pastor. And he was like, so should we just like read our books or like do small talk? <laughs> I was like, thank you for just, like, saying this out front. So I'm not, like, worried the whole time, like, what I'm supposed to do sitting next to you for this hour and a half flight. And he said, well, what question do you wish people asked you, Mm -hmm. like, when you sat down? And I was like, huh. I did the whole, like, that's a good question. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to have to think about that. Uh, And then I was like, what about you? Because clearly if you're asking that, you have to have something ready, right? And he said, well, I wish people would ask me what music I'm working on. Okay. So then he went on this whole spill about telling me how he's recording like everyday house noises and like turning it to music and like symphonies oh. and stuff, which is very interesting. Okay. Um, and so asking people what question <laughs> they wish people were asking them, like invites them mm-hmm. to yeah. like tell. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, well, I guess I wish people would ask me what I'm reading because I can always talk about yeah. what I'm reading right, right then. And so it was a good little reminder that we don't have to live into those like stereotypical questions. Mm-hmm. I, all I'm picturing is Ross from Friends playing like the sounds on it. <laughs> yeah, the piano. you're not far off from what I understood. <laughs> also, if he ever listens to this, he's going to be sound. like, that's not what I do. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you messed that up. <laughs> Which I probably did. That's all right. So what uh, about your sermon that you wish you would have t- talked about? Was there anything interesting you found? 
what do you think, or what do you think you're going to carry with you after preaching this message? I'll answer multiple of those questions. Great. <laughs> so I did talk about a visit I took to the border between Mexico and Texas. Um, and so I felt like just because of political things, like I had to hold back a little bit on like what I shared. Uh -huh. um, and so that's always hard as a preacher, I think, when you feel like, oh, I'm not sharing my whole mm. heart here. Yeah. I have to kind of be careful politically what I'm saying, um, especially when for me, it isn't political. It is very much like I went as a clergy and like met with um, mm -hmm. migrants in migrant camps who have been there for months just waiting. And so that was something that for sure I added, but I could have said a ton more about. Mm -hmm. And then I think what I'm going to take away, my Bible didn't ever call them lepers. It called them 10 men with skin disease. Huh. Um, mm -hmm. And so through my sermon, I never called them that. But that is what everyone knows yeah. about the 10 lepers. Um, and so I, for me, I want to learn more about that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to bog down a whole sermon about, you know. Being, skin diseases. Right. Being PC <laughs> or something. Um, but I thought that was very interesting, too, mm -hmm. is that I wonder why the Common English Bible does call it hmm. 10 men with skin disease. And so we didn't talk about my whole story of the scripture. So the Samaritan is one of the lepers who's healed. And he actually goes back to Jesus and says, thank you. Um, and like falls on his face, like praising God, which is a very powerful moment. And I remember growing up hearing sermons about this and it being like, we should all be grateful like the Samaritan because the other ones were so ungrateful and they mm -hmm. didn't even make time to come back and thank Jesus. But really, the men are healed on their way to the priest, which is what Jesus tells them exactly to do, like go to the priest hmm. um, so they can be welcomed back into their communities. And so the men who are still going, like they're still doing what Jesus asked them to do. Yeah. They're not like, oh, we're not thankful for this. Um, yeah. They're probably overwhelmed too that they're in the midst of being healed and being back in those communities. Like they're celebrating. And so I think for me, I want to take away like finding room for the balance of being grateful and still having time for the party and the celebration mm. too. So making space for both. Um, because I like to believe that the Samaritan then goes back to Samaria and he has a big celebration too. You know, like yeah. there's both and here. And I just, I like going through the book of Luke because I find something new every time I read these stories. Mm -hmm. Like they're so familiar, even the bleeding woman. There are all these familiar stories in the gospels, but every time I read them, I find something new. And I think that's how we keep doing what we do. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because we can't preach the same sermon on the same text no. every year. But on Christmas and Easter, we pretty much do because there's something new every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I find beautiful. Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking about people that found community together from the different regions. I didn't realize that. I wonder if they went when they went back to their like homeland, they if, they, miss each other? if they missed their community, if they felt like that you, was a more you, real. You can't relate to me in a way that those people did. Hmm. Now that's going to... Mm -hmm. See, I didn't even talk about that. That'll preach. But no, I, I definitely relate to you. Sometimes in sermons, not getting to share your whole heart. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like in my message, I always think of the LGBTQ community and how they've had probably a lot of shame put on them from outside sources, just the way they've been portrayed and talked about. And especially in churches are very guilty and how, man, they're just, they want to be loved and I would say celebrated. And this is not me saying this is where everyone needs to be. Everyone's on a different journey when it comes to this, just like I have been. But I always think about them when it comes Who's to shame. Who's missing at the table. Who's missing at the table, yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously they find community together to go with your right. people. Like that's people find community. Right. It could be like, why do people love video games? Like they find community mm-hmm. there or mm-hmm. anime. Yeah. That's why there's conventions. They find community. Yes. Like even ev- the people you think are most isolated mm-hmm. have some form of community. Yeah. Um, because it's so necessary to who we are. We weren't meant to exist by ourselves. Yeah. And that's what gives me hope in these moments of shame or these moments of lack of healing is that we still have groups of people in real life to come together mm-hmm. and build together. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for a community and don't have it, there's one there for you, mm-hmm. whether it's in the church, out of the church, um, and however we can help people find yeah. community. That's mm-hmm. kind of our whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want you to find community when you come here. Yes, for sure. All right. Thanks for spending some time on the podcast. Always a pleasure. And I don't preach again until I preach for you in Modern in December. So I have a nice little break. Nice. We're kicking off stewardship. Yep. And yes, it's stewardship. So watch your mail. And then we've got Trunk or Tree at the end of the month. So, and then before we know it's going to be Christmas. Yeah, but for now it's Halloween. So let's live into that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a person who loves Halloween. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, you'll have a good week. We'll be with you again next week. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Off Script. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.